just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. The Deep Eye. In this podcast, Eckhart takes us through a live meditation inspired by a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. The wick of individual life runs deep into the oil of pure being. Eckhart says, we have great depth within. He encourages listeners to reach beyond the limitations of the personality to find what he calls the deep eye. He describes it as that aspect of ourselves which transcends the ego and is connected to the ultimate source of universal consciousness. So here we are again in the present moment, being aware of the weather, the various ways in which the weather manifests in the present moment is also a way of bringing you into the now to feel the breeze of the air on your skin, for example. Listen to the sounds of rain or the wind in the trees. And one of my favorites is watching the sky, the continuously changing paintings, abstract paintings that appear in the sky. The air, breathing in the air, the scents, the smells of nature, and taking in the entire energy field that surrounds you. If you go within, you encounter your own nature, your own essential nature. I believe it was Ralph Waldo Emerson, the American writer, spiritual writer, 19th century, who said something like, the wick of individual life runs deep into the oil of pure being. That's an interesting analogy and quite a powerful one. The wick, if English is not your native language and you happen not to know what wick is, wick is the string that is in the candle that you light that draws up the wax or it's the string in an oil lamp and you light the wick that sticks out of the oil and you light it then as a flame the wick draws up the oil, that oil is then consumed by the flame. So that's the wick. And in this analogy, he said, the wick of individual life, your individual life, runs deep into the oil of pure being. So 
That means there is a great depth within you and your individual consciousness derives its sustenance from the greater universal consciousness. It's only a manifestation or an emanation of the greater one consciousness that you also are, that you are more fundamentally than the individual, the wick that's burning on the surface. You are a surface phenomenon on the level of your physical body and the sense-perceived, all the sense-perceived aspects of yourself and even your thinking, although your thinking is already, already exists in the realm of invisibility. Nobody has ever seen a thought. You cannot see a thought. You cannot perceive it with your senses. And yet even thinking is a relatively superficial or surface phenomenon. It belongs to the dimension of your individual form. But there could be no thinking and there could be no sense perception if you were not connected to something deeper, which is consciousness. So you are an, an emanation of something very profound, very deep, that connects you with the totality of the universe. Now the important thing is to realize the truth of this directly, which means to sense that depth in you, here and now, so that in addition to knowing yourself as an individual person, in the analogy that Emerson used, that's the wick, in addition to knowing yourself as an individual person, surrounded by many other individual persons and life forms, in addition to that you are aware of a deeper dimension within yourself. And when I say you are aware of it, may not be totally correct, because the awareness, when you become aware of your own awareness, when you become aware of the fact that you are conscious right now, and you can only become aware of that if for a moment there's no thinking, and yet you have not fallen asleep for a moment, there's a cessation of thinking, like now. What do you need to think about now? Nothing. For a moment, there's no thinking. In that moment, there's a stillness, an alert stillness. That is the awareness of who you are beyond your individual form. That is the beginning of the pure being that Emerson speaks of. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. One. Two, three, four. Those are numbers. 
but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. It's not that difficult, especially here, right here and now, where you're not being disturbed, hopefully, by all the demands that the world normally places upon you. It's not that difficult here and now to have these brief moments and perhaps even longer moments when you are aware of an inner alert stillness, cessation of thinking. What remains is consciousness prior to thought. Consciousness before it becomes a thought. And that I sometimes describe as the deep eye as opposed to the surface. I'm not talking about this eye because that's also an interesting analogy, but I'm talking about the first person singular eye pronoun. The deep eye is that being, the I am, awareness of the I amness, beingness. The surface I that you normally identify with and that, that normally when you use the word I in everyday usage, you refer to the surface I, your personality, your person that you are, the bundle of thoughts and emotions that form, make up the personality. That's the surface I. And in the absence of thought activity, the surface I subsides. And if you have not fallen below thought and towards sleep, but have risen above thought, then there is an alert stillness, not a tired stillness. That is the essence of who you are, as that is the unconditioned consciousness. And it's so close, it's not that difficult to experience, to realize this alive depth in you, where the personality is transcended, although you still have or you still are for a while, of course, also the, the surface self is still there, and most likely you will again and again become completely identified with the surface self, which is a normal human consciousness, the normal unawakened consciousness, the normal fairly dysfunctional consciousness, dysfunctional because it doesn't know its own depth, it doesn't know the root. You're, in other words, dysfunctional because you're out of touch with yourself. Yourself meaning the deep I, the unconditioned consciousness. You cannot sense that in the background even while you are acting in this world as a person. This is the aim of awakening means. If you are awakened, first you have glimpses of awakening where you can sense yourself as this deep I. That's fine. And then the glimpses are a little longer. And then you may find gradually in your everyday life, you can live from that deeper place that changes the way in which you think. Habitual thoughts are still there, but a greater, a deeper intelligence flows into your mind. Your thinking becomes creative, more creative, more alive, less dysfunctional, doesn't create suffering anymore. 
for yourself and others, because otherwise your thinking creates an enormous amount of suffering, unhappiness. This is still the case for millions of humans on the planet. So the deepest meaning of Shakespeare's words, to your own self be true, the deepest meaning of that is to be in touch with that pure being, which is the, the unconditioned consciousness, which is your true being, your true self. It's no longer a separate self. It connects you to the totality. So this frees you from the prison of your personality. If you're not aware of that deeper dimension to who you are, you're trapped on the surface level of who you are, constantly looking for an enhanced sense of identity on the surface level, where no true and ultimately satisfying sense of identity can ever be found. And that's the search of the ego, which is the surface self that you are completely identified with, this complete absence of the realization of who you are beyond that. So the ego is searching, but never finds the dictum of the ego, says the Course in Miracles, the dictum of the ego is seek but do not find. So you're seeking the enhanced sense of self in many things. In, of course, the ego, usually when people speak of ego, they imagine it's somebody who thinks that he or she is the greatest, a very high opinion of yourself, that you are better than others or have achieved more. That indeed can be one version of the ego, but an equally powerful ego is one that, perhaps even more powerful ego, powerful only in a very relative sense, ultimately there is no power in the ego. Strong ego might be a better word. An even stronger ego is, and this is a very popular one, especially these days, ego assumes different forms in different uh, historical time periods, Victim, seeing itself, seeing yourself as a victim. Very seductive. You may have heard the expression identity, politics, and a lot of that is to do with feeling that you belong to a certain group that has or is continuously being victimized. And of course, yes, there have been obviously groups of people who have been discriminated against and so on. But you, as the individual, if you derive yours, the main part of your identity from a sense of victimhood, then you are seriously trapped in an egoic sense of self that is very limiting. But people look, they look for an identity somewhere. The ego always looks for a bigger sense of identity. And if you or your group can be more of an victim than some other group, then that amplifies your ego. And then you cannot, you're so trapped, you cannot find your true power. You basically declare yourself to be powerless. And the ego gets amplified by having enemies. There's a growing number of people, for example, who declare that 50% of humanity is basically their enemy. There are men now who refuse to get involved with women. There's an expression for it, M-G-T-O-W, men going their own way. They say, well, women don't want to have anything to do with women. They're out to 
exploit you. And that's already very satisfying if you declare already you have a whole group of people who are basically your enemies, enormously satisfying to the ego. Of course, you, you have a form identity. You belong to a particular group of people, ethnic, racial. You have a gender, or maybe you're not certain if you, if you have up your gender anymore, who knows. But there is obviously a form identity. You are here in a particular form. And you don't need to deny that particular form, whether it's racial or gender or political. You can acknowledge it, honor it also, without mistaking it for your true identity. So the form, whether it's to do with your race or your, your national identity, it's all fine, you can honor that, but there's no ultimate self in there. So I speak of form identity and essence identity, the two dimensions. Form identity becomes ego when that is all you know. And then it becomes very limiting and leads to a lot of dysfunction in the world, collectively and in individual lives. But if, in addition to your form identity, which you clearly recognize and you honor it, form identity includes the body, so you don't say, oh, I'm, it's just illusion. No, you, you look after the body, exercise, nutrition. It's like a house you inhabit temporarily, that's all. So you don't need to deny completely your form identity, but don't look for yourself in it, and then comes the enormously liberating realization that there's more to you than anything on the level of form. And that's the true meaning of knowing yourself. Knowing yourself is knowing yourself as consciousness, right here and now. In consciousness, you are not a man, you are not a woman, you're not even young or old. You're not successful or failure. So a great spiritual practice is, as much as possible, to refrain from applying labels to yourself, either when you speak or when you think about yourself. To refrain from applying conceptual labels to yourself, to refrain from identifying yourself through conceptual labels. I am this, I am that, in your thinking or in your speaking. Now, you may encounter some resistance to this practice, which is the ego, but as you practice that, you'll find it's very liberating not to describe yourself to yourself or to others through any conceptual terminology. Even things like, I'm unhappy, no, let go of that too. I'm happy, let go of that too. So when you don't apply labels, what's left of you? Well, what's left is the unconditioned consciousness or being. So on a conceptual level, you don't know who you are anymore, and that's a wonderful state. If conceptually you, you don't name any aspect of yourself, and then what's left? 
Am I nobody? That's another concept. So I can't describe to you, I don't need to, just try it out. And even while I speak to you here now, perhaps you're already doing it, especially letting go of the, the labels that you are really fond of, that you've been identified with for a long time. You can always pick them up again for practical purposes. It's fine. You might need to describe yourself in certain terms in practical situations. What do you do for a living? Well, I'm an engineer. Oh, well, I'm this or I'm that. Okay, that's fine. If, if, if it's practical, it's good. And then let go. And then you'll find more and more in daily life, you actually, you go, you walk into a room, you walk along the street, you sit somewhere, and you're there in that state of alert presence because you've let go of labels. There was much less thinking in your mind now because there's big spaces where before there was a clutter of thoughts, bigger and bigger spaces arise within your inner spaces because a lot of the thinking that you do, the compulsive, addictive thinking, is to do with yourself, strengthening these labels. And your practice is not labeling yourself. You're not a success. You're not a failure. You're not old. You're not young. You're not happy. You're not unhappy. You're not ill. It's not a denial. It's just not living through concepts. So we transcend living through conceptual thinking. And the more you let go of this compulsive conceptual thinking that strengthens the form identity, then the, the deeper dimension arises. It arises because you have not limited yourself anymore through concepts. And then that greater intelligence can inspire you, speak through you, and use you, so to speak, as a, an instrument or a tool for acting upon this world. It's not just a passive thing. It has both polarities, can be active. Then you become truly intelligent. Not the IQ sense of intelligence, which is a very limited thing, creative intelligence, which can manifest in many different ways. You lead your life intelligently. That's perhaps enough for today. I highly recommend that you practice this and you'll be amazed how wonderful it is to be nobody in particular, just to be a conscious presence. And then still refer to your form identity. Yes, in practical life it's fine, but not be consumed by it. And then you can say, I don't know who I am anymore. And that will be a positive statement. I don't know who I am anymore. Congratulations. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course, and Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. We'll have some questions that people have been sending in. So you talk about the importance of choiceless awareness, directly confronting what is without judgment. You also talk about the primacy of presence as the way to transcend thought, the improper use of which is the cause of our suffering. Another teaching, respected by many, celebrates thought and desire as being responsible for our evolution and the expansion of the universe. While both teachings have much in common, this appears to be an important point of departure that I cannot reconcile. Can you help clarify? So there seems to be basically two teachings. One is accept what is, choiceless awareness, presence. The other one is using thought to create to manifest, to transform. Are they separate? Can they be reconciled? The two represent the two movements of the universe. One is into creation, multiplicity, increasing complexity of life forms. It experiences itself as that. It loves to create, that's for sure, because if you look around, even on this planet alone, how many life forms there are, the one consciousness perceiving itself through all these different forms in different ways. And then the universe also wants to know its own source, and that's the return movement, is first as the outward movement, and then there's the return movement. This might correspond to the Big Bang, what scientists call which the universe came out of nothing and suddenly it expanded and went into creativity and my forms began to multiply over billions of years. And then the story goes that eventually it will come together again and return to the one. In that case, it would be like the in-breath and the out-breath of God, the entire universe. God breathes out and the and then it all returns back to the source for some reason that we could not even fathom. But that seems to correspond to what we do because we have a heart that also goes and we also breathe in and breathe out. And we also wake up in the morning and do all our activities, and at night time, we go <laughs> and then we go oh. Now everything is reflected on every level. You are a microcosm of the entire universe. So if you observe yourself, you observe how the heart works, how the breathing operates, how the sleep and wakefulness, dreamless sleep, dream state, the so-called wakeful state, which is not that wakeful for most people, but there certainly is a similar pattern everywhere. So 
the universe has the both movements, the creative and the return to stillness, the return to source. Every human has that incredible, the irresistible impulse every night to return to source. If you, you can't resist it, it's called tiredness. <laughs> and if you try to keep your eyes open, you can for a while, but you would go insane if you didn't sleep. We regard it as normal that people just drop unconscious every 15 hours or whatever. Everybody drops unconscious, isn't that weird? <laughs> but it's so normal that nobody questions it. You will also notice when you get really tired how irresistible the pull is towards sleep. There's a sweetness to sleep. The more tired you get, the more you feel, I need to get there. I need something, the pull is so irresistible that people give up their life to sleep. People who have been lost in the wilderness, out in the cold, in the snow, can't walk anymore, and they know if I fall asleep, I'm never going to wake up again. And yet, at some point, they do it because it feels so good. They have to go there. Ah, oh, doesn't matter if I don't wake up again. I want to go back to the source. So every human goes back to oneness, but doesn't know it unknowingly, and then comes back out. So here we have, if you look, really look at yourself, that will tell you many secrets about the universe. I'm talking about this because this is how the two movements are reconciled. The universe needs both. It needs the creativity. It needs also the stillness. And for humans, it's not enough to go unconsciously to the source. It's our destiny because it's the destiny of the universe for us to consciously unite with source source consciousness and that's why we are here so your life needs to be a balance a dance between creating and not getting lost in your creations which means not getting lost in the mind being able to use the mind to create but for conscious creation because for a long long time the humans created their lives but unconsciously they lost themselves in their creation they lost themselves in the mind whenever you get stressed you are lost in your creation you are lost in your activity so allowing the unconditioned consciousness which is the universe to create through you rather than being a little ego that says i need to be happy i need this and this and this and this in my life. The Course in Miracles says, how do I know when something is ego-motivated, something has been ego-motivated? Well, it's easy to know. It says, when you achieve it, it doesn't satisfy you. Maybe for a little while, but not for long, very briefly. So no egoic achievement satisfies you. What is the motivation for creation if you're already accepting of the present moment, if, you're, if you feel completely at one with the isness of the present moment. There are two reasons why you take action here. One may be as a response to a situation that requires action. You may be stranded somewhere without food, so you need to walk somewhere to get food and shelter. In the meantime, you can internally accept where you are. You are right here. And 
Can you see what this present moment requires? It requires you to take a step and then another step and another step until the situation is resolved. So certain situations, somebody may need help. You can sit at ease, contemplating nature, and suddenly there's a human being who says, oh, help me. Do you, do you sit there and say, no, I'm too at ease in the present moment? <laughs> so, so a situation, you respond to whatever the situation, the present moment requires you to do. You respond from within. That's a natural thing. Like a teenager, I lived with my dad in Spain for a few years, and he had gone to Spain to drop out and lead an alternative life, and then he ran out of money. And then when I was there, we had so little money, we had not even a fridge. I mean, almost everybody had a fridge. But there in the hot summer in Spain, no fridge, no radio, no television. Of course, I couldn't even think of it. So basically just the minimum... And I wasn't dreadfully unhappy because of that. I, to some extent, I accepted it because I was still young enough. Children find it perhaps easier to accept situations that they, they go into. But normally, if I lived in a place like that now, I have no fridge, only basic things to live with. Things get... I can't buy anything in advance. I have to go shopping every day because everything goes off immediately in the... Oh, yes, and if you move anything on the kitchen counter, immediately armies of ants come in and eat it. I'd rather move than be here. You can accept that this is where I am right now. It can still be fine. But you would start looking, I'd like to live somewhere else. Everybody has a preference. Some Buddhists might talk to you about, or some masters say, I have no preference whatsoever. But they live in an ashram, so they'd rather be in an ashram than be on Wall Street and work there. So there must be some preference. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having a preference. I'd rather have a comfortable place than an uncomfortable place. But if I cannot have a comfortable place, I will be perfectly okay with an uncomfortable place. If it's not possible, one thing is responding to situations and having preferences and then taking action. Another one is bringing about something entirely new into this world. That comes when you are able to become still enough so that you know what the universe or the one consciousness wants you to do, if it wants you to do something. It may take a while before you know that. I lived for years doing relatively little, except doing occasional counseling sessions, sometimes only two a week. And the years passed, and I was just continuously, just in presence, on my bicycle, chopping wood, carrying water, in the years past, I spent hours in thoughtless awareness in London, sitting on Hampstead Heath. Three hours later, I go home, having a little salad, and then having a counseling session at five. And I wondered, there must be something else that I'm supposed to do. And there was even slight moments of, what am I doing here? <laughs> but there was nothing else to do than be present, just be, go back to Hampstead Heath, sit there again. There were long periods also of 
incredibly blissful states that people noticed, even people who are not tuned into spirituality particularly, say, I can feel something, what is that? There were great states, emanation of peace, but I wasn't doing anything. There was just that emanation. Sometimes waiters or waitresses, occasionally I went to little restaurants, they, they felt something, but still nothing. The universe still wasn't telling me what I was supposed to do. And uh, I believe the decisive change came, perhaps I should have thought of that earlier. <laughs> I was in, I had moved out of London to Somerset and lived in Glastonbury, the spiritual mecca that attracts all kinds of weird people, including myself. There's a village just a few miles out of Glasgow. I would sometimes go there, and there's an ancient, like the English villages, they have their ancient church, sometimes a thousand years old, a few houses around it. There was an oak tree. I would go to an ancient oak tree in the middle of the field, magnificent, and I had a wonderful relationship with that tree. <laughs> but that church that was always empty, I went into that church and... One day I went in and suddenly I had this impulse to say, I want acceleration now. I knew there was something for me to do. I clearly demanded acceleration of my life purpose. And then I went home again. And for maybe three months, two or three months, nothing happened. I'd forgotten about it already. And then one day it came. It came when I woke up. And I suddenly, I knew as a thought and a deeper knowing, I have to move to the west coast of North America. Why? I don't know. It wasn't just one day it stayed. The next day it was still there. The next week it was still there. The week was still there. And then finally I had to leave. Could not leave. If I had not left, I would have died. So that was the first step in writing The Power of Now because I needed to be in the energy field of the West Coast for some reason to write it. And that's how the book started when a few weeks after arriving on the West Coast, it started. And then it accelerated from there. It slowly went just the book, took three years with on and off because I had to go back to England several times. And then the acceleration came more and more, but after the power of now came out more, and then it became so much that I almost wanted to put the brake on. The the power just grew and grew, but it, it came because for years I went so deep within that eventually the outer movement into creation, the outward creation, reflected the the depths of years of going within into just into stillness and deep into stillness. So the outward creation reflected the inward movement. It was as powerful out there as as it was the power that was in the inward movement. So you too will find that the more you align yourself with the essence, the stillness within, the unconditioned consciousness, there might be a time gap, but hopefully not as many years as in my case, there may be a time gap but that the power that is within you that, you, that you sense when you become aware of yourself as the consciousness, then flows through you, and that is what creates through you, not the little ego anymore. So you don't create because you think, when I achieve this or that, I'm going to be happy and fulfilled, something deeper than happiness. The fulfillment is already here now. 
The true creation cannot come out of a neediness. That's egoic creation. It doesn't make you happy. The non-egoic creation that <laughs> consciousness uses you as an instrument, uses this form as an instrument, comes out of the inner fullness. So the creation comes from within to without. It creates the outward from within, rather than needing to attract something from the outside. You can only create out of this fullness that you sense when you're in touch with presence. And only for those people who are meant to create, as I said before, there are certain others who will not be drawn towards that. In them, consciousness will express itself in different ways that may, will not be creating something new out there. It will just be bringing this new consciousness into this world wherever they are and contributing to the new consciousness simply by embodying it. So it is not the case that the, the two seemingly incompatible camps, those who say the important thing is to use thought to create and the others say, no, just be with what is, the two actually need to be together. You need to be deeply aligned with the present moment before you can be a real creator. And you are not the creator. The consciousness creates through you. If you are not fully aligned with the present moment, you are not fully aligned with the unconditioned consciousness. And then it can only come through in little trickles through you because any resistance of any kind closes the channel or narrows it so the very little can come through creativity aliveness and even knowing what it is that, that that wants to be created through you that is the question the question is not what do i want to create what is it that wants to be created through me and that answer for those of you who are meant to manifest new things in this world. The answer may already be there in you. You may already be engaged in creating that. You may already be engaged in a small way, doing something that you love. One important thing that you recognize when you create, when you manifest, the enjoyment that is in the activity. That is a clear sign that it is not an egoic activity. The egoic activity very quickly gets stressed and anxious and when, when little obstacles arise or big obstacles, it gets... And then it starts fighting with others and you make yourself unhappy while, while, while you're trying to create something and make others unhappy who come into contact with you. <laughs> the, but the creativity is joyful. It was a great joy for me to write when the first book, The Power of Now, was incredibly joyful every morning Occasionally a, a block came and I just had to sit there and it was still fine. And then the flow comes again. It is high energy flows through you. It's a beautiful thing when it comes, this incredibly high energy. And you know very well this goes far beyond your little person. Anything that little me could do, you're just receptive for it and then the flow comes. What form it takes varies from person to person. The ego always tries to get in there somehow. If you get stressed, it's ego. If you're enjoying what you're doing, then you are connected with the deeper level within yourself. And the joy itself is a great power, the joy that comes in the doing. It also means you don't need the outcome 
to be fulfilled or happy. If you need the outcome, hoping that finally you will reach that and then it'll make you happy and fulfilled, that will be egoic. And when you achieve it, it won't satisfy you. Or you will already have destroyed your health through stress for, for several years and when you finally get there, you die unsatisfied. But joyful creation actually reconciles the two. Joyful creation reconciles being in the present moment and having a goal. You know what you want to create, but the important thing is the action that you take at this moment. That's joyful creation. So it's so simple. Joyful creation reconciles what is the seemingly incompatible camps of being in the present moment and going somewhere, trying to achieve something. It's an art also that the foundation for it is stillness. So before you go into creation, the two can be reconciled. Yes, they're perfectly reconciled. The foundation is the yes to the present moment. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.